Hey, this is Bill Simmons. I am the CEO of The Ringer. I host a podcast called The Bill Simmons Podcast. I host The Rewatchables Podcast, which I hope you're listening to. If you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to The Rewatchables. That's coming back this week. Be ready for that. Hey, I interviewed Greg Kinnear for my podcast, and my podcast was so stacked that we ran a piece of it on that, and then we decided to run the whole thing here. So we talked to him about um, his whole pre-acting career and then what happened as soon as he went to Hollywood to start making movies and he made Sabrina and then uh, a whole bunch of one other ones after that. If you want to hear Sean Fennessy, he's coming back, I think later in the week with at least one interview and we're doing the Oscars um, pretty much every Tuesday and a whole bunch of other stuff. This feed is going to be very active over the next four to five months, almost entirely pods hosted by Sean, but sometimes we'll run some other interviews here. So here it is right now. Me and Greg Kinnear. But before we start, don't forget to check out TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. All right, here it is. Me and Greg Kinnear. All right, Greg Kinnear is here. This is your first time on the BS Podcast. It is. It's happening right now, live. You used to do this. You used to interview people way, way back when. I did. I later. Very. We, oh, my God. Later. Later is in my salad golden years. I mean, <laughs> way before that, I was doing it on like borderline public access cable without even a C in the word cable, doing it for a thing called movie time and, and, uh, just trying to. What was movie time? I don't movie, remember before that. Before E was E, it was called movie time. And it was on, I don't know, some satellite dish. And it was like literally like going back to college for me. You know, I, I kind of came out of school and got out here and crashed on a couch. Just like this one uh, yeah. that I'm sitting in uh, for, you know, a few months. But but I got this gig uh, doing this kind of low budget cable channel and we would fill the hours with just interviews and show behind the scenes interviews and you know run trailers anything we could to fill time and was that, was that what job. you wanted to do even in college you were like i'm gonna be a host did you want to be like letterman you know honestly no i i really i don't know i didn't have a, a strong clear drive as specifically of what i wanted to do I mean, I did, I was a, in broadcast journalism at Arizona and I started as a drama major. So I definitely yeah. ended up in the right zone, but I, I honestly didn't know what the, I, I didn't know anybody in this business. Yeah. So it always seemed so far removed, you know, the idea of actually ending up in it is, it was just seemed preposterous to me that you could actually get a, get a gig out here. So, um, so I just never anticipated it, but it's funny, Justine Bateman, as I was reminded the other day, played a big part in my, really? my career. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. She was uh, dating a friend of mine who was a sound mixer. And she had gone to like this MTV, you know, used to do those Super Bowl events. I mean, yeah. this is way back in the 80s. Yeah. And she was there doing, you know, helping out with one of those things and doing her thing. She was on Family Ties. And she told this guy who uh, who worked at MTV. She was like, "Yeah, you should you should talk to um, my friend's friend Greg Kinnear at some point." And so uh, 
I, I ended up getting a chance to audition for MTV via her. Those, those are big, big days for MTV, late they 80s. They were huge. They were yeah. huge. And I went into this, you know, sat on the stairs where J.J. Johnson sat and Mark Goodman and oh, Martha wow. Quinn, the whole gang. And I I, uh, I basically, uh, you know, did a terrible audition. Good God. it's I still have it. Yeah. It's awful. And, uh, and I didn't get the job out of it. But I did get a nice tape out of it. And that tape said MTV audition. So when this fledgling cable channel was starting up calling called Movie Time, they were like, oh, this guy might be legit. He's got an MTV audition that he didn't get the job for. I don't remember the Movie Time thing. And I feel like I have a really good memory and, and I love pop culture, but man. Yeah, uh, I'll get you a hat. I was thought, but now, now that you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, E wasn't always E. Because I remember when they became E, it was like, E? That's going to be their name? That's right. And 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 literally before E was E, it was this movie time channel for three years. And just one day they came in and they changed the sets. They changed the name. They changed the hosts, i.e. I was fired yeah. by E. And uh and and I I left and did some other stuff for like a year and a half and then came back for talk soup. So that was all much later down the road. And you started Talk Soup and then you told them someday. There's going to be this family named the Kardashians. <laughs> and they're going to blow up the value. Keep your eye. Just watch this family. I know they're little girls now, but they are going to save your channel. Yes, yes, exactly. I saw it in my crystal soup bowl. <laughs> Talk soup was, I mean, it's funny now because it's basically the internet. Right. We're talking 1991. I think so. 91, 90, well, no, 92. I think we went on the air with it. 92, January 1st. And, and I was on it 92, 93, 94. And what, what was like the prototype for that? Did you have one? There wasn't a prototype. Honestly, I, they brought me in. I had just, uh, I don't know. I'd done some other, couple of other things. And I, they had been running periodically clips of, like Sally Jesse Raphael or Geraldo or, you know, Ricky Lake. They just periodically would run a clip. And so I, I went in with the guise of, of creating a show once a day that would just run a number of these clips. Rather than just run one, they'd run, you know, a, a number of them. There was no idea of what the show was going to be. There was no prototype. In fact, I, the, they thought it was going to be like a serious Reverend look back at oh, the Jesus. highlights from Jerry <laughs> And we all got in there. And I don't think they knew we were on the air for like two years, but we just kind of started running. I remember you know, watching crazy. in college. I, I graduated in college in 92, but we were like, this is great. What is this? This I guy's, can, I guy's just making fun of all these terrible shows. I love this. And and it's so funny. I mean, even now, I, I people know that show. They know the history of it. I didn't know that people knew it. It just, yeah. there, there was no internet. So there was no, you couldn't like see how your Twitter response was, or there was no way to gauge it. We started to get a rating. I think we, at one point, my producer, Eileen Graham came in and said, we got a one this weekend, which in that world on E at that time was unbelievable. And they were, uh, you know, it, it, and we got a lot of mail as well. So I, I started to realize towards, not until like the third year, you know, before I left that people were actually seeing it out there, but I didn't know we had an audience. I just thought we were just kind of in a little echo chamber screwing around. I remember that. And then comedy central, whatever it was called back then was running the SNL reruns. 
Right. And those were like the two kind of, oh, this is great. I'll just kill some time and watch this show. But, you know, going backwards, like the, I'm going to say it's like 87, 88, those, the crazy talk show started to take off. The Morton Downey Jr., maybe that was even 86, but when (laughs) he's just yelling at Nazis and, and it's like, what is going on? And and those shows were like massively successful. And then that kind of led into the, early nineties when nobody was really making fun of them publicly, but everyone was making fun of them who watched them. Yeah. And then it tapped into that. But I really feel like it was like a pre-internet, you know, the internet comes in, message boards start coming in 93, 94, 95. And then the internet, people start getting email, but this was kind of existing pre all of that. It's so true. Yeah. And Morton Downey Jr., you're so right. I just remember him, like, you know, he'd, he'd always have a cigarette in his mouth. And it would always invariably kick somebody off. Get out of here! Yeah, he's such a Get bully. Get out of here! Yeah. You know, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing Donald Trump didn't have one of those shows. Yeah. He probably that tried. Could have, that could have happened. That could have happened, actually. He would have, you know, he would have fit in that. I I think, I'm trying to think some of the crazier ones. My Morton Downey Jr., that's a, Richard Bay? Yeah. Uh was Montel Williams on yes, back then? Yeah, yes, he was he on was. there. Yes, he was. I feel like I'm missing like a really good one. And it's, oh, Jenny Jones. Jenny Jones. <laughs> was was Wendy O. Williams wasn't on back then though? No. 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 So you had all these people and they were just watching these shows, cutting VCR tapes, VHS tapes. That's right. And you were trying to figure out. Which ones, and then you're screening it. I mean, it'd be so much easier to do it now. The internet. It would be much easier to do it today. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost like clips. the internet saved us. Uh, uh, no, it was it was crazy how convoluted it was. I I just come in in the morning, and we basically taped the show, but we did it sort of live. We, we once we started, we just didn't stop, and we just let it go, whatever it was. It'd drive me crazy if we stopped. And we had a technical issue here and there, but but not a lot. And and in the morning, I'd go in and I'd uh, there's this nice guy I'd like line up. He'd say, "Well, here's what we got," and we'd sit there and he'd show me, you know, probably twelve or thirteen different potential nominees. Yeah, we only had time for about nine or ten, and we'd just kind of say, "Okay, let's do this, 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 this." <laughs> we kind of thought, "Hey, why don't we do like we, we had like different gags and stupid things that we'd come up with on the fly." And then, uh, and and then, uh, you know, then we uh, sit down and do the show. I feel like that show, Dennis Miller and Weekend Update. It was it was the first kind of people, yeah, people, kind of wise asses, yeah. Which is basically where we ended up with the internet. We're just people, yeah, being wise asses about anything. But it was you're not I, blaming me for all this, are you? No, I think I think you should take credit. I think this is great. <laughs> but I remember when you left, it was like devastating. Yeah, and then you're in this great situation where everyone who followed you are like, "Yeah, but he's not Greg Kinnear." It's like they could have followed you with Eddie Murphy in 1984. <laughs> like, well, you know, but Greg. <laughs> yeah. So you do that later show, right? As the kind of, I mean, that was basically now we have podcasts, right? But back then we had these kind of long form interview shows that people were doing that really kept going all through the 90s, and then I think in the 2000s started a flame out as a gimmick, but. Um, you did that for two years? Do, they still do later, don't they, they? Yeah, they still do them, but it's now you have to like make them 
have to kind of catch the viewer's eye a little bit oh, more. Oh, for sure. You oh can't just gosh. be like, hey, two people are talking. Yeah, exactly. Three cameras. I know. I know. Well, listen, I took over that show from uh, Bob Costas. And, yeah, he and, loved that uh, show. And he was quite good at it. And and by the way, they did it without an audience, which was always my big regret. I got over to NBC and they were like, oh, we got to put you in front of an audience and have you walk out. And I was just... I, it felt completely wrong. Oh, you didn't want to do that? I didn't. I didn't like, I didn't like walking. I even tried to say, why don't I just sit here? I'll just sit here and we'll just start the show. You know, we can have the audience, but anything but the walkout, we had the whole walkout deal. And I just, I don't know, just the whole thing felt like, it felt very, uh, even for me at that time, it just felt like a formula that had been, you know, had been done to death and and we weren't going to do it as well but the idea of having a one-on-one interview with somebody and kind of talking to them you know rather than moving them down the couch after seven minutes that appealed to me yeah on some nights it depend who the guest yeah, was it's tough. the booking every night is <laughs> oh. well we a lot of times we just pilfer whoever you know jay leno had down at the end of the right you know the other stage we just grab Whoever <laughs> you literally grabbed them, <laughs> yeah, stop, yeah, and then you left to become an actor, yeah, which I remember being like just flabbergasted by. It's like, what, yeah, he's gonna act. I thought this guy was gonna be like a like a letterman type, now he's gonna be in movies, makes no sense. And you, that was something you always wanted to do. I, I had, I, I did. Uh, um, oh, I, I did have great interest in acting. A really good friend of mine always was like, you want to be an actor? And I was always like, no, no, I don't. But I guess I kind of did. The truth is, I, I, again, I just didn't think it was, it was something that was like really possible to, to, to make happen. And, and, you know, even my first movie i mean which was which i did a couple little things but i mean just kind of like a day gig here or there but the first thing was sabrina with you know that sydney pollack directed and he and that's a big ass movie it was a big huge movie that was like a big deal though it was being remade it was kind of an iconic movie that meant a lot to a lot of people and he had me come in and meet with him uh a couple of times eventually uh, you know they put me on videotape and, and, uh, you know, I ended up getting the gig, but I, you know, I, I was not searching for that. He literally, somebody, Lindsay Duran, who used to work for, for Sydney dropped off a tape of me, I think on talk soup and just said, after he had tried to get thousands of other people to play this role, uh, who passed for different reasons, he, uh, he at least entertained it. And then I went yeah. in and I think, you know, we had a good connection. He's from Indiana. I'm from Indiana originally. Maybe that helped. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was my first. Harrison yeah. Ford. Yeah. yeah. Kind of at his second apex, the double apex that Harrison Ford. Yeah. No. The 80s apex and then like in the, just an unbelievable run early 90s. Right. At that he, point, he was like the most bankable A-list star in Hollywood other than Tom for Cruise. For sure. I mean, he had just, I think, I'm trying to think what he had come off of. Was it? He'd done like Clear and Present Danger, Presumed Innocent, The right. Fugitive. Right. It was a murderer's row. Wit, uh, witness. Remember how great Witness, witness was? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, his, the, his, his 20-year run is kind of unassailable. 
So I had never met Harrison through the whole process. So the big elephant in the room when I'm like trying out for this, just the thing that you just don't want to ever, ever think about is the fact that you haven't really acted in a movie and now you're going to do it with Harrison Ford. It was just too much. I I think I just compartmentalized it and kind of said, I'm not going to acknowledge this. Eventually, <laughs> I did have to meet him. Yeah. Uh, and that was in, I guess, in New York. Uh, we met at, you know, I don't know, Sydney's office in New York. And, and uh, he says, uh, you want to you wanna go grab some lunch? <laughs> and, uh, and so we went down the street and got, uh, got, a, got a little lunch. And, of course, you walk in the restaurant and it's, yeah, ain't looking at me, man. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. And you're right. He was kind of at that, you know, great apex. And and it was, I remember the lunch specifically at one point, this is a very, you know, straightforward lunch talking about a little bit about the movie, you know, uh, I don't know, baseball game, uh, random stuff. And, and, and it, it, at some point, uh, uh, we got the movie thing and he's talking about, well, when we were doing this thing, and he mentions Star Wars and, and I got to do the, my, of course, the joke that we all want to do, which is they say, no, I, no, I haven't seen that. What is that? <laughs> What's that one about? So, uh, Star, I did get a Star I get a Wars. Day. Yeah. Yeah. That was the title. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, uh, I think I got half of us, maybe a quarter of a smile out of him on that. <laughs> Worked. <laughs> Sabrina, I didn't it do really well, but people were like mad about it. Like it, it had like a weird reaction. Yeah, I mean it. It, uh, I, you know, but I people think thought I, you were good in it, but they they didn't understand why it got remade. But they people saw it anyway. Yeah, they didn't realize that tons of movies were about to be remade. Yeah, for seriously. the next twenty years. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think it was controversial a little bit that it was being remade, but and then some people didn't dig it some people did i mean it even now i mean i've i saw it my kids saw it uh and i, I watched it with my kids a few years ago and remember thinking it's it's kind of a it, you know i i like the film but it's yeah a, it does have a strange a slightly you know strange vibe to it but i but i do i did like it and i did think it was a worthy remake i mean i really i really um uh, I don't remember the box office though. I, I don't think it did tremendous. I think it was because Audrey Hepburn was so iconic in that role. Sure, but now it's like Julie Ormond though. She could was do wonderful that again. In it, you know, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like kind of a damned if you do, you yeah. know, do this thing anyway. So I, I think it was a hard. What was that like to watch that with your daughters? <clears throat> yeah, was, they see dad in a movie. That's got to be weird. Yeah, they don't like to watch dad in movies. I can tell you that. That's that's the general takeaway that, yeah. that I uh, I've experienced is that it's strange for them, and and they haven't seen me in a lot of stuff, you know. Um, so I I don't I I'm not I'm not pushing me around the house. So uh, it's it's we're at a nice neutral place where hopefully they, never they see know what I do, but they're not that keen on watching it. Yeah, hopefully we'll never see autofocus. Just tell them. <laughs> tell them just no, never, yeah, don't ever watch that. that one. doesn't happen. So when you hooked up with Nicholson a couple years later. Yeah. And he was another guy, you know. Yeah. One of the all-timers. Yes. And that was a really big movie for him because he had, you know, he hadn't had kind of a movie where it was like, oh my God, Jack Nicholson's amazing in a few years. And yeah. that became kind of the signature middle-aged Jack Nicholson movie. Man, I, I just re- remember reading the script and thinking, oh my gosh, this this is really an incredible script. This is in- just going to be an incredible movie. I'm never going to get it. 
and Jack playing this role is going to be one of the great things to watch at some point when I pay my $8 like everyone else to go yeah. to the movie theater and watch him and you know whoever got to play my role in Helen in this movie because uh, you know you just knew that he was going to crush it and he does it's such a well acted well written movie yeah it's weird some parts of it has an age well you know cuz i think you think yeah cuz some the, parts of it cuz i guess don't, don't age well, well or have an age well culturally yeah that like he's you know he's gay bashing him for the first hour plus of the movie right and when you watch it now under the current lens you're like oh man Come on, dude. Right. But in the moment, it was kind of like, oh, he's he's a crank, but we know he's going to come around. But then you see it in the 2018 lens, and it's, it's I haven't seen it in a while. That's a, probably a fair point, but uh, I don't know. I, I just... I mean, I'm interested to see it with that idea in mind. I, I it probably the thing is, is different. I we talk about this. We do a podcast called The Rewatchables about going backwards and legislating content it's like look it was 1997 or 1996 whatever it was it was just like it's the way it was that's the way it um, was and he's so good in that movie i still the one thing with that him and Helen hunt getting together the age difference you it is a tiny bit of a leap of faith but then you think like well i, I take a leap of faith in every movie so this is like a very tiny one I mean, in this town, if you live here <laughs> and you're like looking at that and worried about the age difference, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it myself. I was always very comfortable with it, but yeah, there's a little bit of a of a span there. But I feel like I've seen that enough. Where would you learn from Nicholson? Were you studying him? Were you watching like oh, little God. weird things he did? And- Front row seat, baby. It was great. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't tell you specifically what I learned. I mean, hard working and, you know, took the work, the, the role incredibly seriously. And, uh, it was never easy. It was never easy for him. You know, Jim uh, Brooks did a you know, wonderful job with the movie and, and everyone cared a lot and nothing was taken for granted. Not one moment, you know, the, everybody was, was constantly trying to make whatever it was better. And it's amazing because the script really is great. And yet you'd get in and we would start with a scene. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. This is never going to work. (laughs) And, and then, you know, uh, it would, it was just trying to find it and it would get better and get honed and, you know, Jim has an incredible ear and, and it would just get better. Big sports fan that Jim Brooks. Yeah. See him at a lot of Clipper games. Yeah. He's a like a diehard tortured Clipper fan. Yeah. It's amazing he hasn't written the Clipper sports movie that the world needs. <laughs> He'd be the perfect person to I write know, it. That would be he would do Come great on, Jim with Brooks. a sports movie. Well, he did have they had once didn't he a sports movie? Uh, with Paul Rudd and and Reese. He did, yeah, yeah, she was a softball yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I need the a Clippers, little bit need a Clippers movie. Yeah, yeah, I need a Clippers movie. So that movie went, that movie cleaned up at the Oscars and you yeah. got nominated. It was one of those movies. It's just like, oh, that, that next person's going up. We were, the big movie that year was, uh, was Titanic too. A lot of people don't remember that that was the other movie that was in the category, which was- uh, It's a good year. Little, little feature link motion picture that- uh, <laughs> people remember yeah it was supposed to be a bust it was supposed to be a bomb they spent so much money it's gonna be the biggest bomb in hollywood history <laughs> it is funny anytime that happens half the time the movie ends up being really good right and then the other time it really is a disaster 
Yeah. But when you start hearing the buzz about, oh my God, this is going, oh, Jesus, then it's like, oh yeah, this is actually a pretty good movie. Any buzz is good buzz, baby. When you know, good or bad, you know, it's like uh, maybe that's the message out of that. <laughs> <laughs> the the autofocus with Bob Crane mm-hmm. is one of the most disturbing, darkest kind of fascinating cable movies that comes on when you're flipping channels and it's like, oh yeah, this movie. Bob Crane, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, I'm in my late 40s. Like that, like the guy from Hogan Heroes. Um, Hogan's Heroes. Um, like that was like everybody knew who that was, you know, or like Mr. Brady, or uh, I don't know, the dad from my three sons. And there were like these 20 people that were just in your life, and you just assumed they were perfectly normal. <laughs> and yeah. He was not normal. He was the opposite. And when that stuff started to come out, it was absolutely flabbergasting. It's like, really? Bob Crane? I know. I remember hearing about it in, in high school that some story, I, I think he had been, maybe it was after he was murdered uh, or, and had been murdered recently. So, so there was a little... Just a little buzz. I was in high school in Greece, by the way. So I'm in yeah. I'm in a parking lot in Greece having this conversation. But somehow the Bob Bob Crane, yeah, I understand he was a, you know, he had kind of a he had a crazy he liked the girls, something. I <laughs> like the I ladies. Just, yeah, he liked the ladies. Like filming the ladies. Didn't never hear much more than that. I mean, it was a tiny blip on uh that registered for me back at that time. And then the whole story went away for many, many years like with everybody i think and and only uh only when you know paul schrader sent me the script was i like oh yeah it's a really good movie yeah paul schrader by the way yeah another legend yeah i i mean it basically seems like his buddy killed them but yeah he didn't get ever convicted for it right i nobody researched it better than than schrader and he he said there's no question if he had sat on that jury, he would have voted to con- convict yeah. him. At the end of the day, they had botched the case badly enough, the Scottsdale Police Department, that of course they had to, um, you know, they had to let go of like some key evidence. But you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, it was all there and and very very clear. Yeah, one of the things that's cool about that movie is, um, it was that era where you became famous for the one thing. And then after that, you're just kind of chasing the fame that came with that one thing. But yeah. it, each year becomes further and further away from thing. And it goes like deep into, you know, this weird post Hogan's Heroes career where yeah. he's just like working in nightclubs, like yeah. doing like patching things together. And it's just getting darker and darker. Yeah. It was a very, uh, it was a really well written script and I, and I, uh, and I, and I had the benefit of, of, you know, Willem Dafoe playing, um, Kirby, oh, super creepy. who was so awesome. And I was such a fan of his. So that was a, just an added bonus, but yeah, it gets, it gets pretty far out there. And we, uh, I, uh, you know, there were part, there was an element of the movie that seemed slightly it seemed it was funny to me just i i, I yeah. don't know how to because it's not really something you should laugh at i mean i definitely think this man had a problem and oh, he yeah. did have an addiction that obviously but but i think sex addiction now is something that is probably in the public consciousness a little bit more and you can have a sober conversation about it but 
I mean, you know, when I saw this thing, I mean, I don't, I don't remember what year we made it, but it was just, it just seemed like he, he what, you know, <laughs> sex addiction and how, how, you know, Bob was creeping around outside of being in Hogan's heroes, this kind of, you know, charming role that he plays, that he had this dark energy that was, was driving him. And there were moments within the script that had some really funny beats in it that I, that I liked. But ultimately, it's a it's a drama, and it is dark, and it does kind of tip over into a different place. But you know, there's there's just it's a lot of different colors in that movie, and I, I enjoyed it. You made uh, Little Miss Sunshine in '06. Does a movie like that get made now? And if it gets made, what's the budget? I mean, it was considered kind of a low budget indie when you made it, yeah. and now it's like I love that movie. I wonder who's making that movie now. I talked to Matt. Matt Damon was on the pod a month ago, and he was talking about how hard it was it was to get uh, the Casey Affleck movie they made, the Manchester by the yeah. Sea. And he he was saying, uh, like the fifteen million to seventy million movie is just Got disappearing, it. yeah, unless somebody with a lot of clout gets behind it. I think Little Miss Sunshine's a good example, like. I don't know if that movie happens in 2018. It almost didn't happen when it happened because we we I remember uh Abigail Breslin who plays Olive yeah. kept, kept getting older. <laughs> Jonathan Dayton and Valerie they, you know they're the directors they were like oh, God, we got to make this movie. This oh, girl, there was like they, a time limit on Well, they just were in love with her as Olive and she yeah. kept getting older. Yeah. Uh from when they originally kind of were were out trying to you know they were very close they were on the 1 yard line a couple of times really? and then it slipped away. And they just couldn't get the financing for it. And finally, one of the producers, uh, who at that point had just been a producer on it, uh, just said, you know, he was a he, he was a wealthy guy. And he just said, screw it, I'll write a check. And he wrote a check for $7 million to make wow. the movie. And that's how it got made. We, It wasn't sold. It didn't get any – it wasn't financially – solvent in the sense that it, it didn't raise any money as a project. So he just said, I'll do it. And that turned out pretty well for him. Yeah, I was gonna say that was a nice check. <laughs> and uh but you know, listen, that that doesn't happen uh very often for good reason because, you know, there's a thousand stories of of losing your money and uh any kind of, you know, movie investment uh for every one that hits. But that one hit and it hit big. And I, I don't know if it would be made under normal circumstances. I mean, listen, the script was, it was good. I remember reading it the first time when it was brought to me and thinking, yeah, yeah, that, that'd be, that'd be fun. I, I didn't knock me out. I'm like, as good as it gets was like, I thought, wow, this is, it was, by the way, as good as it gets was originally called old friends. They changed the name, but really, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, and I loved old friends. I told Jim, I said, I think you're crazy, man. You want to change the name? And he was right. Um, but I, that script was, seemed really ready. It was just a thousand percent there for me when I read it. And, and Little Miss Sunshine, I thought was really good. I didn't think it was a bad script, but I, I don't remember being knocked over by it until we got in and finally we're going to make the movie now. And, and we started doing some rehearsals and we all started to, you know, do it, did a couple of read throughs of the script. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, wow, this thing is so great in every moment of it kind of works and the development of the story works 
and and then I realized how well it had been cast with everyone. So, uh, but it was a it was a bit of a slow burn for me to kind of I'm slow anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that was a good example of. I think you need to get lucky, especially with a movie like that. And in that movie, it's perfectly cast. Yeah. Like yeah. even if you go, f I don't know, there's f maybe five key people in it. Even if you go four for five, I think it really hurts the movie. Like you really had to go a strong five for five. Right. With the five parts. And the little girl's great. And then all on down the line, it's just like, just yeah, Paul Dano, who I, I just did the Tonight Show this week, and I ran into him like he was on the show too, and we were just—I hadn't seen him for a long time, and we were just kind of ruminating. And he about has like, yeah, he's had a big career now. Oh my gosh, he's he's doing. Can tell from the movie though. Uh, from that movie, you'd be like, that guy's going to be something. Yeah, right. He was he was so good, and I hadn't I didn't know him when we you know when we did the film, and I was like, okay, this kid. Same for Abigail. I mean, really, everybody was you know doing great stuff so jonah hill was here two weeks ago he was talking about how his kind of class paul dano's in it and like that part everyone wanted that part oh really they're all going for the same parts from like 06 to 09 but right. that was one of the parts yeah it's pretty funny i like i always like the concept of acting classes yeah where uh it's just like the same damon talked about that when last month about like his class was you know obviously affleck and mcconaughey and all those people but also like Ed Norton, Ed Norton got the primal fear part, fear part. Right. Everyone else wanted that part, but then he got him back with the, with the Coppola, the John Grissom movie. He got that over Ed Norton. Yeah. Um, when you did, actually, you did Stuck on You with Damon. I did. I did. I saw Matt uh, not too long ago at a UFC fight, and we were, uh, we were kind of reliving our anguish of of having three or four hours of a prosthetic yeah, put gonna, on our body. Because <laughs> now you would just do that with all CGI. You probably would never be attached. I don't. I, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, they had, they, they, they did it with a big giant piece of, of silicone that was literally taped, you know, kind of stuck to our body. And the guy, after they put it on, and this was whenever you saw us, like in our, well, there's a scene where we're in our swimming suits. So you have to see the whole yeah. connection. And, and, uh, but it was a, you know, it was a couple of weeks where we had to put that thing on and Jesus. it would take like five, six hours. I mean, we would get there at five o'clock in the morning. We couldn't shoot till lunch. And then I remember getting this thing on and, and I'm like walking with Matt. And then the guy comes up and he says, now, listen, guys, it's important. I just want you to know this. Everything's fine. You guys are going to be fine. But if one of you were to fall or trip and you got separated, this could rip your flesh off. So try to be really careful when you're walking together. Oh my and, God. Um, and, and I remember thinking, okay, okay, <laughs> don't trip, don't trip. But we, you know, it was a fun, great fun to do that film. And we did have hours and hours. That doesn't sound fun. Of, that that, sound, that fun. sounds not fun at all. That part was not fun, but we shot Miami. I mean, only the Fairley brothers would shoot Miami for Los Angeles. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt's a tremendous, you know, guy. And, and, uh, we, we had a lot of, uh, we just had a lot of laughs doing that movie. And Matt will tell you he, today, he'll say that, you know, he says that is the most fun he's ever had on any, any movie. And I think I would say the same thing just in terms of like, just going to work. Those guys are fun to work with. The environment is crazy. Plus we were just, it, 
it was such a nutty idea to begin with. So uh, it was fun. The uh, you agree to do a movie like that, and it's like, oh yeah, there's going to be some prosthetics. And then you're on the set and it's six hours. Yeah. Well, there's got to be some moment where you go, oh man, really? Right. Yeah. I heard like Jim Carrey like almost went bonkers in like the Grinch or something. He had to, because it was like eight hours a day or something. Oh, yeah. And it's just, and I get it. I mean, it just, for, listen, fortunately, usually if we were, if it was just Matt and I, we would just, they'd put a shirt over us. Yeah. And we'd have a piece of Velcro holding us together or, I don't know, elastic band or something. That was the majority of it. <laughs> so, so the prosthetic thing was the pain point that we had to hit for a couple of weeks. But aside from that, basically we'd throw a shirt on and, and I, you know, we'd have to rub bodies throughout the day. <laughs> CGI now, I'm telling you, you guys right. can be in just separate cities and do it. Yeah. Well, I smell a sequel. Stuck on you too. <laughs> it's back. Stuck on two. <laughs> uh, House of Cards. What's your what's your role? What's your job? What's your what's your profile in this movie? Job. I mean, a uh, TV show. Yes, it is a uh, it is a. Well, listen, it's it's a kind of a great. It's a great show, man, and they have uh, they had to done retool it, it. Shall we say they had to retool it? So I I was cast along with uh, Diane Lane as brother and sister Bill and Annette Shepard, who are showing up to. Uh, we are in Washington, sort of that fifth estate, just kind of quietly doing our bidding from very stealthily, but uh, using our, our influence and our money to, to try and change policy. We certainly have a problem with Claire Hale, who has ascended to the presidency. Robin Wright's um, character. Kevin Spacey will be this sort of, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's the former president now, and he will uh, basically be um, running a foundation and it, all sorts of things span out of that. Got there, shot a couple of days, like a day, just a camera test, and then a, a couple of scenes. And then I was shooting a movie in Memphis. I went back to Memphis, and then I got a, uh, you know, a call. I don't know, two days later to turn on CNN, and and the card, the bottom dropped out of this whole thing, and it, yeah. and it went. Uh, uh, everything went a little crazy. So credit Robin for you know as one of the along with the producers for you know, keeping this thing on the tracks. I think the easy move would have been to walk away from it all. I mean, if, you know, she didn't, she didn't have to keep this thing going. And right. She could have run in the other yeah, direction. And I think you'd be a little vulnerable, right? I mean, that's yeah. the, you know, he's, he's such a significant part of the show and, you know, he, this happens. Maybe the move is just to walk away. And I think she, you know, uh, she, she made the decision that she wanted to stay and that the show was you know worth finding an ending for and and the writers you know Frank and Melissa had a, a you know very tough work ahead of them because they had to then totally re um you know rewrite and kind of reconfigure the the season out and they did a really good job and uh in in doing that and and we um you know so we're just there wreaking havoc and we want Claire's head on a platter there did you go did it's, you think about backing out after this whole thing or no? No, I, I just didn't think it was going to happen. I yeah. just assumed that this was, uh, when I heard, I was like, well, that, that's, that's done. That's just not possibly happening. And, and then 
And then a little time went by and I was just told to, Hey, stand by the producers are trying to, you know, make, maybe keep this together. And then Netflix, I know ended up taking care of the crew, which was really cool. I thought, um, you know, they, they took care of that crew in, in Baltimore for quite a, you know, some period of time while, while they reconfigured what it is we were going to, going to do. And that can't be overstated because I think there's a lot of production companies that would just say, Hey, tough luck. We'll pay, you know, we may, we may come back. We may not. If you got to go find another job, good luck. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. And you came back because you just wanted to be married to Diane Lane for a TV season. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not. I don't even get to be married <laughs> to, to Diane Lane. Diane. She's my sister. Oh, she's your sister. She's my sister. Now, you know, it's you true. Related my to story her. is I'm in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> that's my backstory. But uh, I don't know if that's what the producers had in mind. But uh, yeah, she's she's lovely and great, and it was great fun to work with her. And, and uh, she's such talent. As I knew her socially over the years, but we'd never worked together. So this was, this was terrific. She's awesome. I agree. I'm a huge Diane Lane fan. Me too. Right there with you. I'm always I'm always up for Diane Lane in yep. in stuff. I wish she did more stuff. So you have three daughters. How old are the I, daughters? They're 15, 12, and nine. Wow. I have a thirteen. Oh, you do. We can talk, kid. It gets complicated at twelve, huh? I'm actually I'm I'm having a pretty good experience, but I there's little comes and goes. Yeah, little snippets where I'm like, oh, now I understand what other people were trying to warn me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's it like to have three? Well, with, with three, you you say with one it comes and goes. Well, just assume that it, if it if it if it's co- it comes and goes periodically, and you have three, just the law of averages, it's always, it's coming, always coming and it's always going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I I don't know anything different. I mean, they're they're really great uh, girls. I will say, um, I might be slightly biased in that assessment, but it's uh, fully from the heart. I love them like mad, and they're um, you know they're all they're all different. Very, you know, you always hear that. Well, can you believe how different they all are? And that's true. They're all very different. But um, but one of them is going to be trouble. A lot of averages if there's three. That's probably true. It's true. One of them's the candidate to sneak out of the house after everybody falls asleep. I've got one earmarked as possible trouble. <laughs> <in the> scouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I ended up with a daughter and then a son who's two and a half years younger, and he's have him have him marked. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching his every move. He just turned eleven. <laughs> Very careful with him. Yeah. Did you get a male dog at least? Have have. I do have somebody a male to dog. talk somebody to talk to? I do. I think he's a male dog. <laughs> I think he's a male dog. Uh Winston, can feel outnumbered with all those ladies in the you house. You bet I do. And by the way, this dog gets so much love that I don't get. I mean, yeah. this dog is beyond spoiled uh and and loved and adored in the in the family dynamic. But uh um but yeah, got a dog. Would you let any of them go in a show business? I certainly, oh man, I, I just want, like, I don't know about you, but I, 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 my greatest wish would be that they would be passionate about something, you know, that they'll, they'll have a thing that they want to do. And if that's show business, fine, you know, it, I, I don't care, you know, really, I, I don't care what it is, but I want them to be, um, I think that that's, that's the great advantage you can have in your in your, in your life, in your work is, is just a, uh, 
an interest and and some sort of passion for for what it is that that you do and and so um if that led to show business with you know which is fraught with complications that have all been talked about um i i, I don't think i would try to talk them out of it I, I think i'd just encourage it and and hope for the best and i think you know show business is like it's not just one thing. I think people envision everybody ends up as an actor or a director or, you know, it's a, it's a million different facets. And yeah. There's so many different things in it that like any industry, it, it, it it's, it's not at all one thing. So, so, uh, you know, bring it on. I think that's good parental advice you just laid out there. Yeah. Let the kids follow the passion. I'm going to write a book. My daughter just, Started playing volleyball randomly for her school, and she loves it. She's like, "I want to keep playing." I'm like, "Great, knock yourself out." Did she just? She's of- always been soccer since like age four. She's still going to play soccer, but she's like, "I really like volleyball too." I'm like, "Awesome!" And how Do did she thing. know she likes volleyball? How did she know she liked volleyball? She had played it when like fourth grade, fifth grade, and then came back for the eighth grade team just to be with her friends and was just good at it. And she's like, "I want to keep doing this." That's like, great. All right, cool. We're in LA. You can play That's volleyball great. whenever you want. But yeah, I, I think, remember. Uh, I remember my 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 youngest daughter. We, we were at a Halloween party, and she was probably like six. And there was this uh, kind of this inf- one of those inflatable sort of uh, kickboxing things out there, or something. You know, like one of those. It's sort of a practice bag. Yeah, yeah. And she just out of nowhere just did this massive roundhouse kick on this thing, and I was like, <laughs> "Huh?" And later said to her, "Do you have any interest in?" you know, ever doing something with that, maybe, you know, the karate classes and stuff. And, you know, she was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to try karate. And, uh, she's done it since then for, you know, I don't know, like, you know, eight years and she's working on her second degree black belt (laughs) and she loves it. And it's just a thing that she, I, I, you didn't, wouldn't see coming. It was just this thing all of a sudden she was like, yeah, that would be cool. And so, I kind of feel the same way about, you know, any advice I do give them is, is that you kind of have to let their, let them lead the way, you know, yeah, they know what they want to do. Well, good luck with the house of cards. When does it drop? Uh, drops, uh, November 2nd. Oh, so that's today. Correct. We're taping this on a Friday. Yeah. I think it's running next week though. Oh, so yeah, it's, right. it's on it's, Netflix. It's, it's on Netflix. Yes. It's officially on Netflix. It drops. That's what we all say. You probably wouldn't know. What's the, the new logo? Hmm? Did they read? They must have redone the logo, right? It used to be spacey. Well, it's it, yeah, it's it, it's, so it's Robin, Robin and it's by the way, it is really a it's a tour de force. I mean, it's really Robin's thing. I mean, in that in that show, I mean, she she carries it, and it's so cool. I think to see her, she's of course, you know, <laughs> she's devious and horrible uh, in certain respects, but uh, as the president, but she's she's really kind of. Um, owns the role in a fantastic way. So it's good stuff. We had her, we did the Andre the Giant documentary last spring for HBO and she, cause he was in Princess Bride. Oh, right. So we, it's this documentary, it's Andre, it's all these wrestlers. And and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like an hour and like Robin Wright just comes in. It's like this white light shining. It's just <laughs> one of the most beautiful actions ever. And then it's like, all right, back to the wrestlers. <laughs> back to Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. But she just kind of passes through for two minutes. Is Robin Wright one of the greats? How did he get cast for this? I have to see this. I have not seen Andre the Giant. It's a documentary. I'm going to watch that. I haven't seen it. Yeah. 
Oh, it's great. You would love it. I will. I will love it. It was a really good I one. I love that movie, and I kind of like, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but, the you The cool know, thing about how he did this is you don't have to be a wrestling Was fan. he like a Hulk hogan type? He was, right? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. 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 You like it. It's on HBO. I'm going to- HBO On Demand. Which I have. Yeah. You watch that, I'll watch House of Cards. Fan- deal. Greg Kinnear, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. All right, thanks again to Greg. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rewatchables podcast, the Channel 33, where we have Jam Session and a whole bunch of other good culture podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Picture and spread the word. This is going to be a very active podcast. Don't forget about The Watch. Don't forget about Binge Mode. The Recapables is coming back in about two months. We have some good culture podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. 